geared to think like a for-profit thinker. What can we do through businesses to do good in the world? So Impact Foundation became a conduit for us to invest through them so that we could invest in kingdom businesses or businesses that have you know, spiritual, social, and financial returns. And it was, um, it's critical. And anybody that's listening to it, if you have a donor advice fund, I would recommend if you're interested in this, that Impact Foundation is a great solution. Welcome to the Generosity Now podcast, where we bring you inspiring stories of generosity and whole life stewardship. Our goal is to showcase individuals and organizations making a positive impact on our communities and across the globe. I'm your host, Eric Most, president of the National Christian Foundation's Rocky Mountain region. And I'm joined by my incredible co-host, Lori Bossert, VP on our, uh, on our team and in our office. Lori, how are you doing today? Great. The fall is starting, and I'm just amazed that here in Colorado, the temperatures are just starting to get a little cool. The snow is on the mountaintops already. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. We just came back from uh, Atlanta where we had NCF's entire network gathering and we flew back in and on Friday and Saturday, uh, we got just under two feet of snow on top of Pikes Peak. And uh, and so walking out and seeing the snow on the peaks, uh, fall is coming, the leaves are starting to change. Really, really excited. That's not fall, Eric. That's winter in most places. Uh, well, you know, it's still like 75, 80 degrees out though. So, you know, it's it's <laughs> yeah, kind of crazy how true. these mountains work. Well, today we have Greg Lernahan on today's episode. Uh, thanks for joining us. Really do appreciate you being here. Honored to be here, Eric and uh, Lori. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. Well, Greg is a, is committed to making a positive difference in the lives of others and has refocused his life with his, with this purpose. As a faith-based investor, Greg dedicates his time and talents to mentoring and investing in for-profit businesses that address the world's greatest social challenges. Greg is dedicated to helping others who are passionately changing the world. He seeks to partner with Christ-centered leaders that produce spiritual, social, and financial returns by serving the less fortunate in Chicago and internationally. Just taking a peek at Greg's bio, we see that you show up time and time and time again as an investor with many incredible organizations. But that isn't where you got started. So, Greg, would you give our listeners an overview of who you are, uh, where you were raised, how you came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and a bit about your family and the scope of work you've done over the years? I was uh, born and raised in a beautiful small town called Michigan City, Indiana, which is on the border of Indiana and Michigan, to two incredible Christian parents. Um, So I was blessed with that. I grew up in a Christian family. I was baptized as an infant, was a churchgoer every Sunday and did all that. But... I probably wasn't fulfilling the full Christian life my whole life. And so somewhere about 15 years ago, I became more of a seeker and um, was active in my faith. I was always believed in God, not an issue. I always believed Jesus was my savior, but that I would say that Jesus wasn't in the driver's seat. He was maybe in the back seat, in the passenger seat back there. And so about 15 years ago, put a lot of effort into reading the Bible, becoming more active in, in, in uh, my faith. Um, and then we had a wealth event, what, what uh, professional wealth advisors call when, when you sell a portion of your company and one day your bank account has more money than you expected. They call that a wealth event. And that changed us fairly significantly in that we started to say, now what are we supposed to do to steward the resources that God's entrusted with us? So my wife actually went back to uh, school and got a master's in biblical studies from Wheaton College to try to help us know from God's perspective. And I joined small men's group, read very detailed on the Bible, attended conferences. And so I would say now 15 years later, God is driving our lives. We are uh, 
passionately following him. The Bible is an integral part. I think Mary Beth and I talk about God conservatively every day, all day, it seems Mm -hmm. like. So God has become an important part. It's funny how much the Bible's impacted us. I would candidly have thought 20 years ago, it just wasn't relevant to Mm -hmm. today's world. And I I would say just the opposite now, Eric. It's it's the most relevant book we have. And my mother-in-law gave us a Bible 20 some years ago. And she put a little card on the inside of the Bible that says, no matter how much success you both may have, this is where you'll find your treasure. And we put that in our kids, gave them a Bible and put that in. And it's probably the most profound thing that um, an outside person ever said to us. And it took us 20 years to even appreciate what that meant. And on the career side, Eric, I uh, worked for a building technology firm for about 20 years in various leadership capacities, very blessed with um, responsibilities for North America and things like that. And then after 20 years, a co-founder, a colleague, friend uh, named Dan Masseri and I decided to start a company from the basement of a house, which is uh, one of the more challenging things I've done in my life. And uh, we started an electronic security integration company, which I know means nothing to your audience, I'm sure. But basically, we design, service, and install security systems like card access and cameras and all the stuff you see on TV. And only through the grace of God, that business has done incredibly well. And so 11 years ago, uh, I decided to leave day-to-day responsibilities, stayed on the board, investor, and things like that. But I dedicate my my time now to stewarding the resources God had entrusted with us the last 11 years. Greg, we often talk about our lives being journeys, and you just shared a lot about how what a journey this has been with God. Um, but boy, those last 15 to 11 years, that was pretty fast journeying there of going from really putting God in the driver's seat to then stepping away and now stewarding in this place. What a story. I wish I could point to one day, Lori, and I can't. It, it was a, um, my wife and I are on a spiritual path together, which is what's great. Um, we sit here now having resources, my call resources on time, talent, and treasure and saying, Lord, uh, first thing in the morning, what, what do you want us to do with these resources? How can we best steward them? And my mind was not there probably in the early days. I was a, uh, a 90-10. I never had a problem with tithing. I cheated in that um, I only tithed of net income. I didn't think God understood the tax system. And I said, nobody's doing 10% of gross. I don't want to be the only person out there. And so I did, we as a family, I can't believe my wife let me do this because she's way better than I am. And we did 10% of of our net income for our whole entire lives. And then we had this wealth event and 10% is not sacrificial. And so it took us down a different path now, which is the Lord saying, now these are, you know, my resource and we'll talk some about that. And and that changed us pretty dramatically, Lori. Mm. I'm thankful for God's grace and how he helps us Mm. Mm. as we, as we progress and it's a journey for all of us, you know, and that's what we thought. I thought it was a destination is what's really sad is I thought I was going to arrive. And what I've learned, unfortunately, is the more I learn, the more I don't know. Mm. And the farther that road goes out. And I I thought I could master it quicker than I have. Mm. Yeah. Um, Greg, you, um, uh, you talk about in uh, 2012, you took a mission trip to Haiti and, um, and that along with, I'm assuming this, this journey, uh, as we put in the time, 20 years, uh, uh, 21 yeah. years ago for that, um, you know, that had a huge impact on that. Could you tell us about that? Yes. Uh, it was back in 2010 when Haiti had their 
really significant earthquake. And so it was on the news a lot. And I have no idea to this day, other than the Holy Spirit, why Haiti was on my mind. And so I went to some of our leaders in our company, Convergent, and said, you know, I want, I want to lead a trip to Haiti. And if you think some colleagues will go with me. And they're like, nobody's going to go with you. And so I put out a quick text, or actually it was an email, and said, we're going to go either to Joplin, Missouri, where a tornado had hit, and that would be a nice, safe place to go. We can drive there. We can fly our commercial planes, stay at decent hotels, you know, eat at places we're familiar with. Or we can go to Haiti, which is not a great place. Don't know where we're spending the night. And to my surprise and actually excitement, many overwhelmingly wrote me saying, I want to be on that trip. I want to be on that trip. And so we ended up going to Haiti and I took 31 colleagues. We had a lot more that wanted to go, but that's all we could handle in the buses and vans. And I would say from the time you land, Eric, um, back then, especially it was a, it was a developing country airport at best. It was, you, you, when you were on the ground, you knew exactly you weren't in the States anymore. And I had never traveled to a developing country. This was my first trip and I was wrecked. Um, it's not like watching CNN and, and you can see it, you can turn it off when you're there and the smells and the scenes and the, the tarps and no one has jobs. It's, it's literally overwhelming. I wouldn't even know what to do. If someone came to me, I read recently that I think it's $13 billion has been poured into Haiti uh, from grant capital. And you really can't point to a lot being done there. And when I was there, um, if someone gave me $13 billion, I wouldn't even know where to start because the problems are so overwhelming from electrical to safety, to infrastructure, to plumbing, it just never ends. And so it changed the way um, I thought about life in that uh, maybe some of your audience members have read the book Halftime, which talks about going around the age of 40 or about halfway through your life, you're going from success to significance. And Convergent was wildly successful. Um, and I remember being in Haiti going, is that all there is? Uh, there can't be, there can't be that. And so I felt called then to go do something more purposeful. And that's the, the charter I've been on. And one of the quotes that got to me was from Joseph Stalin that said, a single death is a tragedy. Um, hold on a second, I mean, uh, a single death is a tragedy, but a million is a statistic. So just stop and think about that mm -hmm. for because it's it, it drives me. If we knew there were 100 people starving in Haiti, I think we could solve the problem. Or, But once you hear that there's 10 million, you don't know what to do with it. It's, it's so overwhelming. And so we... I saw ones and twos and threes, not millions. And so you felt like you could do something. And so that's when I left day to day. We sold a majority interest of our company at that same time. So the Lord blessed us with some capital. And then we said, okay, Lord, what do you want us to do with this? And that's when our journey on the investing faith-driven side started. So fantastic. Um, you know, I, I consistently hear the impact um, with givers that we talk with and also folks on the podcast of, um, of, of a mission strip outside of the context of the world and how that can have such an absolute significant impact on you, the individual, as we, we think about, uh, the mm -hmm. book helping hurts. And a lot of times right. when we go, it's actually not to actually help. It's actually more for ourselves. And, and I love though, how God has done incredible work in and through you and many others. When we, when we leave the comfort of our home, um, the comfort of our surroundings and go to hard places. And then God can use that to truly change the trajectory of our entire life. Um, it's, it's, it's really a beautiful thing to see. I would agree, Eric, and it was 
outside my comfort zone at every level of the way accommodations weren't great to sleep. Food wasn't great. The environment was tough, but that made the trip. Um, and if it, I'm, I'm so thankful that I, I got on that plane, although I was nervous, I would tell you, because I had responsibility for the colleagues as well. And Haiti's in a really bad place right now. I read Toxic Charity and When Helping Hurts, and we did everything wrong mm. that they said, don't do on a, on a trip. And they were right. They were right. They were right and went back on multiple trips and we changed it. But at the core, and they did question whether it's worth a week or 10 days, you know, one of those trips. In my case and others that, that I'm around, it was life-changing. But I understand how it can be looked. You just pop in and you leave and you, you try to save the day. That was not our intent. And the Lord uh, changed changed my outlook on life. Mm-hmm. And so if I hadn't gone, I don't, it, it was a pivotal moment for me and my family. That's awesome. Yeah, at some point we'll have to have a conversation on uh, my my first trip to Haiti, uh, being chased away, almost almost chased away in the middle of the night by a guy with machetes because uh, we were staying at a place that um, uh, evidently we weren't supposed to, even though we were told. And the visceral like feeling oh that you have, um, but um, I, I feel you there. But you can, you kind of came back, and and with that, uh, you you had this liquidity event with um, Convergent. And you're now actually sitting as the um, the chairman of the Impact Foundation. And we've talked about impact investing on the podcast before, and we've talked about the Impact Foundation. Um, listeners, in fact, if you'd like an overview of impact investing, go back and listen to episode nine, um, which is titled, What is Impact Investing? Um, but would you give our listeners an overview of the work of the Impact Foundation specifically and why you're partnering with them? Yes. And uh, just to be factual, given when we're doing this podcast, I just stepped down from being chair okay. of Impact Foundation the last couple of months. I've been the chair for five, six years and seven years, whatever it is. And I'm thrilled to be part of the organization, but we rotated off. And uh, so still on the board, still committed. Uh, Impact Foundation is a nonprofit that's set up to help deploy charitable capital for good in the world, which means if you have a donor advice fund like we did or do, and I wanted to invest, let's say, in Africa. I cannot invest that capital. I can grant it, but I can't invest that capital in for-profit businesses. And Impact Foundation is that intermediary to where you grant it to them and they invest it for you. And then when the funds go up, let's say you put in $25,000 and you're helping a company that you believe in, wherever it is, U.S. or internationally, and if it comes back later, it turns out to be $37,000 or whatever the numbers, it goes right back into your donor advised account. It's not taxed. So it's very tax efficient. Um, and it filled a need for, for our family, which is how do, in, in our opinion, um, and let me just step back for a second, what drove us down this impact investing lane was I studied the nonprofit world when I first left and they have a stubborn giving curve that you may both be familiar with. And now that the amount of granting that goes on in a year is $500 billion a year. And that sounds like a lot of money, but the problem is that's down from three or 4% from last year. And when you count inflation, it's down 10%. And it really hasn't moved for over 40 to 50 years. And we have $1.6 million nonprofits trying to get grants from a pie that's not growing. And when you step back for a second, depending on who you listen to, there's 200 to $250 trillion worth of investable assets. So my brain was saying, I'm geared to think like a for-profit thinker. What can we do through businesses to do good in the world? So Impact Foundation became a conduit for us to invest through them 
so that we could invest in kingdom businesses or businesses that have you know spiritual, social, and financial returns. And it was um, it's critical. And anybody that's listening to it, if you have a donor advised fund, I would recommend if you're interested in this, that Impact Foundation is a great solution. Greg, you've also been a speaker for the faith driven investor movement, um, and we'll link a video here. Um, of, of we'll link a video that you have done here. Yeah. Um, but you talked about the four quadrants of faith driven portfolio. And I can say I learned a lot from hearing that. Um, could you describe this for our listeners and share more about your family's movement in those quadrants? It's so very helpful for all of us to understand that. Sure. It goes back to that 90-10 uh, discussion, which is once we had uh, this event, we wanted to know how best to steward it. And so we felt this um, that 9010 was no longer fair. And so literally, Mary Beth, my wife, made me put in my prayer journal, Lord, help me get comfortable with giving all of our money away. And I'd have to say that it wasn't something I was excited to write in the journal because I was fearful that it may come true. And I wish I could tell you that days later, it was all resolved. It took us a couple of years, literally, uh, to say this is no longer ours. This is the Lord's. And when you cross that bridge and you really believe it, which it took me a couple of years to believe, I thought 9010 was fair. And then once you believe that, your investing strategy and everything you do looks differently. You're not investing for yourself. You're investing through God's eyes. And, and he's not looking at the world the same way we are. So what happened with us is we had been investing for a handful of years. We weren't completely in the faith-driven movement yet because we didn't know that was still emerging. And so we started through impact investing, which was doing more social change. There was no spiritual component. And through the grace of God, we, we ended up connecting very early on with the spiritual side. So we, we graphed all of our investments, Lori, that we had at the time. And so for your listeners, a, a two by two is like four cubes. And on your bottom axis is the financial returns. And on your Y axis up and down is social and spiritual. So the lowest square in the lower left, we um, we we uh, labeled each one, and we called that buried talents after the parable of talents. No one wants to be there, right? It's a, no one wants low financial, low spiritual. If you go to the right, we we categorize that as um, capitalistic, and capitalistic is where ninety-five to ninety-nine percent of the money is in the world. You're you're not caring about social re, or spiritual returns. You're out there investing in mutual funds and all that kind of stuff. Now you go to the upper right, which is normally the winning quadrant of all two by twos. And that's where you have the highest financial return plus the high, highest social spiritual return. That's where you want to be. And we call that maximizing talents after the parable of talents. But then we had investments to the upper left-hand quadrant and we couldn't understand why. Why would we be there? Because that's lower financial, but for the same uh, financial, or, or excuse me, lower financial with the same social or spiritual. So we labeled that after hours, days, and weeks thinking about it called spiritual-led investments. And you cannot be in that quadrant unless you're led by the Holy Spirit because there's always a financial investment that's better to the right. And so after you know much debate, we sat down and said, our family knows where the Lord is. And so I'll categorize this, 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 this way. The upper right-hand quadrant is a beautiful quadrant to be in. And our goal as a family to have 50% in the upper left 
in 50% of the companies. So if, we have a, if we've invested in 100, we want to have roughly 50 in each. And upper right is easier. You can write bigger checks because they're a little stronger companies. Upper left, every check is hard. But I wanted to talk about the two differences. And in in, we'll start from a biblical perspective is how we looked at it, which is Haiti would be a perfect example. I don't know that I saw Jesus every day until I went to Haiti. I literally saw him everywhere. I saw him with the poor, the underserved. They were praying over us. And what we know is that Jesus you know, invites us to be where he is. And the one thing we know is with the poor, the marginalized, and the underserved. We don't know that he's in the expensive suburbs of Chicago every day, but we know he's with the poor. And if we're not with him, we may miss him entirely. And so our faith in the Lord at this time now says, these are your resources. If I make an investment, our family does in Africa, and it doesn't go well, but I was helping the marginalized and the underserved, and we did our best, I can sleep well at night. I'm not losing sleep over that. At the same time, the upper left spirit-led quadrants are where we're employing the marginalized. That's the honest truth. These are people that lack employable skills. They're returning citizens. They're undereducated. And we understand that going into it and and we're trying to help employ the marginalized. That's the center of our bullseye. So if you gave us an investment opportunity that only helped Ivy League people, no offense to the Ivy League community, we would rather help a hundred people that are uneducated get a job because it's that much harder. Then the other thing about the upper left spirit-led quadrant is that these are companies that have great difficulty raising capital. There's no line of people running to give them money. And so we felt that we're capable of evaluating these businesses and supporting these businesses. And since on their side, when you listen to a private equity firm, and rightfully so, everything's about scale. In the upper left-hand spirit-led quadrant, everything's about sustainability and survival. We know there's not scale. We know that they're not going to come in and, and be bought out by the largest private equity firm in the world. But it doesn't mean they can't be a good running business. So most of our deals in that upper left quadrant are, are loans uh, rather than equity because you can at least get your money back with interest. And then the last thing is uh, the difference between the upper right and the upper left-hand quadrant, the spirit-led quadrant, are the entrepreneurs themselves. Um, The humility, the only serving the poor, the no ego, um, we're better for being around those type of people. They make us better. They're generally minority or female-led, and um, we find great fulfillment in that. So that's a, it's a complicated two by two. So at the end of the day, at the top two, which are spirit-led and um, maximizing talents, we consider kingdom investing in both of those. We don't consider it just in areas that are giving the full financial return. Um, we consider both because we believe that's how Jesus would do it. And I would say that that spirit-led is actually you guys having God's eyes on who pe- how he created all of us equally. Um, he didn't create, we're all created in God's image. And those people that are marginalized, God loves just as much as he loves me. And it's really important Absolutely. to be able to, when we walk the streets of Haiti, is to have God's eyes in those seats that these people are his people and he desires Absolutely. so much more for them. Absolutely. And that, that really is the drive. Once you cross that bridge and say that these are not my resources, mm-hmm. then 
you're, you're thinking from Jesus's perspective and you just can't tell me that he's only going to be with the profitable 20% IRR companies. It's just no way. And if it is, then we missed, we missed the boat. We had uh, Rachel uh, McDonough on the show um, a little while back. And I, one thing, I heard her podcast. Oh, actually. yeah. One thing she yeah. talked about, I think, was um, leaving the edges of our investments um, like you would a field mm-hmm. available for gleaning mm-hmm. um, and like the biblical pro- mm-hmm. um, uh, principle that, that exists there. And I think I've heard Amy Minnick with the Impact Foundation have that same type of conversation. So that's that spirit led, yes. right? The edges of our of our investments mm-hmm. that are that are for the ones that are underperforming. We're, we might not get the return. We we might not even get the return of capital. Hopefully we do, but there's a chance that we might not. Um, and, and, and that's okay. And then we can balance that off with, with, with also, um, the, the other top right quadrant. So, um, we will actually, we have a, I think we have a slide, um, showing that two by two and it is something that's helpful to see. You've done a great job describing it, but I think we'll link it also into our show notes, um, for, for guests so they could, they could take a look at that as well. And, and, and maybe it'd be really uh, a good exercise for you to take, um, uh, listener to, for me, to take our investments and plot it on that on that two by two as well, um, and see see where we land and see how God can and help move us. Uh, speaking about investors investments, last I heard, you've made about a over 140 investments in 80 different companies um, that fall into these redemptive quadrants um, in the in the top top tier. Would you give us a couple examples of some on, on maybe the the top left and the top right quadrant that you're really excited about too, and that that you're um, yeah encouraged by? Sure. Uh, upper right, we have a decent amount of funds as well, Eric, up there. Um, so the, I don't know if Sovereigns has been on or Creation Investments or Eventide, those types mm-hmm. of things. So they're easier to get access to. But I'll, I'll reference uh, two different ones that are direct deals that are harder. And upper right, this company is called Launch Capital Partners. And so they're trying to maximize talents. This means full risk adjusted returns, just like any other. Plus, we get to social and spiritual. They are looking to support refugees and started in Louisville. The number one problem for a refugee is access to housing. And even though there's 150 settlement companies nationwide trying to help with that, only 15% of the landlords are willing to accept refugees as renters. So they've targeted just refugees. So they tend to build their facilities or buy their facilities around trains and transportation systems that are less desirable to other people, but yet very affordable to them. And then they they um, have mission-minded kind of like... Um, Apartment for Life, where you put in chaplains and stuff, they have mission-bent people that go in there and pour into them. So they have cookouts, language classes, they connect them on work, they're pouring the Bible study into them, they're pouring the Bible into them, they're tutoring culture classes. And so they've created this niche that's affordable, uh, very focused on refugees and helping them integrate back here into the States. And they get partnerships with churches and other things like that. So what we're excited about is they're looking to raise about 50 to $100 million in the next uh, 12, uh, 24 months, I believe. They have a, an 8% preferred return, which means the investors get 8% back before they get any split on the, the investment. So it has the potential to be a 20% plus return. But at the same time, we're helping people uh, in this case, refugees that have you know great challenges coming in here to the states, and we're pouring into them. So they have great impact measurements. They track meals with tenants. They track gospel presentations. They track are they connected to the church, and so we're very high on that investment. Um, it, it's right in the center of our bullseye: spiritual transformation, 
helping the marginalized refugees in this case, and it has a good financial potential return. And so that's an upper right maximizing talent direct example. If we just move over to the left, now remember, as you move to the left of this quadrant, it gets harder. So when you go to this upper left-hand spirit-led quadrant, it's harder. And so one that we're very high on is called Pure Flow. And um, here's a, a couple of men that went down to Africa and they noticed that there's a million boda boda drivers. And since Eric, you said you went to Haiti, a boda boda driver is a little motorcycle that takes you to and from like a taxi cab in developing countries and they charge a small amount. And there are sometimes two, three, four, five people on the back of these motorcycles and they drive them a mile up and they pay a token and they're called boda boda drivers. And 80% of them rent their bikes. And so what he came up with is a way to help them buy their bikes, motorcycles. And so for every 100,000 he gets in loans from people like us, he can buy 72 motorcycles and then create a leasing arrangement either from 12, 18, or 24 months. So they own these bikes, these motorcycles themselves. And so in addition, every... Pureflow person, very similar to Launch Capital Partners, are poured into. They meet once a week. They pour into them on the Bible. They read stories. They share stories. They talk about the community. And so there's this connection with the, the, the broader community. And this, this gentleman started with $6,000, bought six bikes. He said they drove off his lot. And he's going, I don't know if they're ever going to come back. And, and they came back. And so now once they buy their bike, uh, they can take home twice as much money as they were before renting it. Um, and so it's a home run to us. Now, that one happens to be an 8% loan. Uh, we don't have equity. We don't want equity. And we're very happy with an 8% loan, I would, I would tell both of you, that it feels right to us because there's only so much you can charge them to ch charge people to buy these motorcycles to give them a higher quality of life. And so... We have invested in them multiple times. Uh, the only thing preventing them from growth is additional capital. Whenever I tell the story to people, I say, would you rather earn 8% from something like Pure Flow that we're helping the bottom of the pyramid? Or do you want to make 11% from a company you know nothing about that's making all their product in some foreign country? And for our family, it's the, this is a home run. And the dignity that you're giving people to be able to have the ability to run their own business is just beautiful. And what, what an opportunity. Um, Lori, that's a, a key point. After doing this for 11 years, if I was to prioritize, the number one thing that surprised me is the dignity of work. If there's anything we can do to help create jobs, there's no greater thing to change the world than providing jobs. I think um, in a book I read that's um, about communities never been served out of poverty. The only chance that we have is to provide jobs for people at all economic levels. And what I've, I know we have drug problems and we have homeless problems, but at the root of all of those, in my humble opinion, are the ability to create jobs. You, 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 you go down the wrong path when you don't have a job. I don't know what I would be like as a person if I didn't have the dignity of work. So this ability, something like PureFlow and others provides jobs for people that want to work. Mm. I love it. I love it. You, you're talking about uh, redemptive investors, and um, and heard you. We were both at an event for Talaton, which is an uh, impact investing mm -hmm. um, group that we we both love. Uh, their work that they're doing in in, mm -hmm. in Africa, and and in it, you talked about um, a staggering, uh, disappointing uh, statistic as it related to um, uh, an an article by or a report done by the Global Impact um, Investing, 
And it was, uh, I'm not calling you, I didn't, I didn't tease this out to you, so you probably don't remember, but you said something along the lines of 33% of investors um, with a secular worldview, without a Christian worldview, mm-hmm. are willing to take a lower mm-hmm. return, even down to zero, if they believed in the cause. And then they asked the same question to believers, people who are professing followers of Christ, and only 17%, only 17% of faith-driven investors were willing to take a lower return, even down to zero, if it was a cause that they believed in. Um, would you riff on that just a little bit? Well, your your notes are very accurate. Uh, that is true. I believe if I had to double check, I think it's 18%, but I think I presented 17%, but it's still... The only difference, Eric, is it's faith. It wasn't just believers. Okay. So it's all faith. Okay. So people of faith. And what you would think is if roughly 35% of the secular world is willing to take recessionary return for the right cause, you would think that faith-driven, including Christians, would. And, and in my experience, that's not the case. Uh, it's not the case with most of the people that are in this business. Um, and I'm, I can't really point to it other than to say that when you're a secular person, you believe in the environment or you believe in this cause and it's okay. And the Christian side seem to care more about the financial returns and they want the social and spiritual. So this redemptive movement has started out of Praxis, which is a thought leadership organization in the Christian space we think the world of. And they created this thought process, the creative restoration through sacrifice. And so what that means to me is that if I'm running a business, I'm loving people, I'm caring for my neighbor, I'm giving glory to God, I'm dying to self, I'm running a company like that. But you're swimming against the current. And if you go back to our two by two, the upper right hand, I normally show arrows going left, right. And whenever you're in the upper right quadrant to go to the left hurts because you're always conceding something. And we were all uh, trained in colleges and business schools that What you really want to do is take the least amount of risk over the shortest period of time for the highest return. If you can get a 20% IRR and it's even short, that's great. And what redemptive investing is just the opposite of that. You're taking higher risks over longer periods of time for expected lower financial returns. And some people say that's just bad investing. Um, We don't seem to look at that. It's just because we're supporting someone that doesn't have access to capital and their idea is not going to be bought by a private equity firm for a 10 multiple doesn't mean that they're not employing people that are at at the fringes that you brought up earlier. So redemptive to me is challenging because what I have on my slide shows when you move from maximizing talents in the upper right to spirit led upper left, I show it as I sacrifice, we win meaning that's uh, praxis terminology, which you have to intentionally want to do this. So this win-win philosophy we've grown up with our entire lives, you win-win everything. This is saying, no, I understand through the Lord's eyes because these aren't our resources. I do want to help the people that don't have access. I do want to help the poor, marginalized, underserved. And that's a very wide bucket. And the only way to do that is through a redemptive lens. I know that there's better investments. I know that financially, but it doesn't mean it's not a better investment when you can include spiritual and social impact, the people that we're impacting. So redemptive is hard. And I, I understand, and those, we are blessed with resources. I don't want to come across as we're doing anything special because we're not. Um, 
And if you have less financial resources, that's okay. There's other ways you can still do this redemptive work. Uh, but we would never, I'm, first of all, I want to make sure that everyone understands, I'm not a registered investment advisor. Um, I think it's important that we're looking at this through a Christian lens of capital that we can afford to lose. And I think everybody's always said, don't invest in something that if you don't, can't lose it, that, you know, you, you keep yourself up at night. I, I want people to understand that to be redemptive, you know, it's something you're pursuing. If not, that's okay. Um, God's not calling you to this particular way of investing. It reminds me, I brought this up a couple times on, on our podcast before, but um, we have a pastor that says, uh, live, and I'm going to use this word now too, I'm going to add to what he says, live and invest in such a way that it demands an explanation. And that's what I think you just described, moving from this win-win scenario to the I sacrifice, you win, um, is living in such mm-hmm. a way that it, uh, and investing in such a way that it demands an explanation. And, uh, and, I, and I love the opportunity that, that, we, that we then have to say, well, this is why I'd be willing to do this. Um, the heart that you have and the willingness that you have to say, this is why I'm willing to take this, um, take this uh, concessionary return. It's for the for the for the the global impact that it can have on individuals uh, in spiritual ways and also in social ways as well. So, thank you for the work that you are doing. Really do uh, I'm encouraged by it. Thanks, Eric. That was well said. That that quote was well said. You've given us a lot of um, great insights, um, but if you could catalyze this down, if somebody is wrestling with some of these ideas, um, wrestling with how they've been stewarding the capital that they've been entrusted to, um, wrestling with the investments that they're making, um, and and they're they're kind of early on this journey, or they've been after it for twenty years, um, um, what what advice would you maybe give to to somebody who's who's trying to who's listening in and and wants to to think differently? Well, um, not shockingly, the first thing I would say is pray uh, was what helped us. Um, We wrote it down. We talked about it. And it took us a while to get over that hump. So it doesn't mean, in our case, we we feel called to do this. It's not sacrificial. We don't, this high sacrifice we win is a a praxis term, which I understand. But we no longer think the upper left-hand quadrant is is sacrificial at all. It's it's a pleasure. It's it's our uh, passion. It's the ones we talk about. We never talk about the upper right. So the first thing I do is pray uh, and I write it down because then it has a whole different sense to it. And again, remember, I didn't want to do that. Um, the, the first place I would start is with, if you have a donor advised fund or a foundation and you have charitable capital, the best place to start is to use charitable capital. Because legally, if you're a foundation, you have to give away 5% every year. Focus a little more on that 95%, which is... In today's world, we have almost one point, a little over 1.5 trillion in foundation money and donor advised funds. So, if you remember early on, I said 500 billion is how much we grant away. We have three times that in donor advised funds and foundations that are no longer legally yours. Or if you're a Christian, you're saying these aren't my resources. These are the easiest resources to try this type of investment. And so I would, I would that would be the second thing I would do. An impact foundation is a great place to go. Um, and I would also say, Eric, I would go into funds is the easiest place to start. Um, you referenced a couple. Uh, they can, uh, with a handful of calls, find four or five, six funds out there that may uh, be attractive to them, whether it's in the U.S., but all Christian-led or with a focus on spiritual and social returns. 
And I think it's a, it's a great place to start. I think to do what we're doing, doing direct investments, you need to be into it a little longer. And I would recommend that you do more than one because the a, a normal venture capital model has, you know, if they invest in 10, they, they think somewhere around six are going to be zeroed out. They won't have any return. And they're looking for one or two that carry the entire fund. When you're investing in this upper left-hand spirit-led quadrant, we don't have any Google investments. We don't expect that. Uh, but we could have a lot of nice returns where, you know, that'll work out really well. But it, uh, but it doesn't mean we're going to get 100x. We don't, we, we're not investing from that perspective. So pray. Um, start with your, your donor-advised capital or foundation capital. And then I would start with funds. That's great. It's a Christian-led fund. You brought up Talenton uh, is is one that's focused on East Africa, and we're uh, we're high on. Yeah, and you mentioned Eventide and um, and Sovereigns Capital, which Eventide, are both fantastic. We, Eventide, you can get through the public equity market. I don't know what their minimums are, but we've been in them probably for eight or ten years, and it's a wonderful Christian-led organization. And then Creation Investments is another superb one that's focused on East Asia and the microfinance loaning money to the poor. And it's done very well. Those are not concessionary funds. Any of the ones we've referenced, talented is, I'm sorry, but the other two are not. We, we don't usually uh, specifically necessarily even plug uh, specific things that it relates to NCF um, for whatever reason, just in our conversations. But uh, since you brought it up, um, the um, Eventide is one of um, uh, three different fund managers for NCF. And so if you have a fund balance and you have a donor advised fund at NCF, you can actually invest in faith-driven investment pooled options now. Um, and Eventide and uh, Caprock and Viatas are all fund managers of those, and there's no minimum in those, and they're fully liquid. And so it's a great way to even get started um, through a donor advised fund if it's housed at NCF. Yeah, great point. Greg, we just really appreciate the advice that you've given. Um, we like to ask a lot of our podcast um, guests if they have a book or a podcast website that you would like to share with all of our listeners? Is there something specific to you um, that you would like to recommend? Uh, good question, Lori. I would recommend The Steward Investor by Don Simmons, which is a new book this past, I want to say six to nine months. Very challenging. Um, he's got some great quotes in there. And one of them is, it's easier to take a, a bone from a hungry pit bull than it is to get Christians to invest in faith-driven uh, investments. Uh, so he he challenges everyone's mindset there, and I found that to be a great book. Uh, Faith-Driven Investing that was published last year by Tim Keller, Andy Crouch, and uh, Henry Kastner is a great book. But I'd, I'd probably do one podcast for those if you're blessed with some financial resources. Andy Crouch did a little um, presentation on you cannot serve God and mammon. I think you could Google Andy Crouch, you cannot serve God and mammon and the evilness of mammon and how it's easy to take over our lives. Because I think Rachel brought it up in her podcast. In my experience now in this post um, world where we've had some wealth, it doesn't matter what your number is. Everyone wants more. And there's this evilness of mammon, and she brought up that. And same thing with investing. If you have a hundred thousand, it's it's just critical that you have five hundred thousand, and then it's two million or whatever the number is. And he does a wonderful job of talking about the evilness of mammon that's worthy of a listen. Mm. That's great. We will um, we will actually um, 
link that podcast also in our show notes. And uh, Don's book, you mentioned he's going to be coming up on the podcast here real soon as well. And so uh, go ahead and get it before okay. he even comes on the uh, – get it and read it before he even comes on the podcast. Yeah. And so uh, that's a great resource as well. So thank you, Greg. Well, we really appreciate the time that you've spent with us. Um, it really has been a joy. Um, I, I pray uh, for continued uh, fruit in the labor that you and the family have mm-hmm. in, in your investing and your strategies that you have, um, that jobs, jobs, jobs will continue to be created that will change, mm-hmm. uh, change the world for God's glory and the joy of many. And uh, on the Generosity Now podcast, we seek to inspire, equip, and connect our listeners for generous kingdom impact and whole life stewardship. For, or, for more information... Uh, on us, please check us out at ncfgiving.com forward slash Rocky Mountains. Um, you could also check out our brand new webpage that just launched, and it's uh, generositynow.org. Um, please go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. Leave us a five-star review. It really does help. Uh, and if you found this helpful, would you share this with somebody else that might uh, really enjoy or be challenged by this podcast today? And every day we kind of close out, um, each podcast we close out with a doxology of such. And uh, today I have uh, Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Um, Honor the Lord with your wealth and he w- and the first fruits of all you produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Thank you so much mm-hmm. for the time, Greg. We really appreciate it. May you be blessed and may those who are listening be blessed in their journey. Thanks, Eric and Laurie, for everything you're doing at NCF as well. Appreciate it. Thanks, Greg. We appreciate you.